0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard and this is where we discuss news, politics and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host Amy Peekoff and aren't you glad that I did not start the show the way I thought of about 30 seconds before we started. I've got this piece of cake sitting in front of me right now and I thought well what if I just, you know, it's been very tempting. I I cut it a while ago (laughs) and I'm looking at it. And I was thinking, well, what if I just put like a big chunk of this cake in my mouth and started the show, you know, like half chewing and stuff? I didn't. I wanted to be professional when I started my show. But you will be probably hearing not very polite chewing sounds because I will be eating this cake during the show. And I will be demonstrating that once I have eaten the cake, I will no, no longer have The cake, right? If you've gone over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you'll see that the title for today's show is trying to have your cake and eat it too. And I just happened to have some leftover cake on hand. So I figured, okay, this will be fun. And yeah, some people on Facebook were bugging me saying, oh, well, if you're going to do that stunt, if you're going to try to eat your cake and have it too, then you have to be on Facebook live video. (laughs) People want me to be on video and... You know, I have this tug of war because I just have so much going on and a certain lifestyle where I just don't want to be camera ready for this show. I'll have to figure out how to get rid of that contradiction because I know I I, I would definitely like a bigger audience. And typically if you're on video that gets you a larger audience, that's statistically proven. So. Maybe I need to work that out, right? You can't have your cake and eat it, too, in in that realm as well. Anyway, if you go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, you'll see the program notes that I put together. That is one of the things that I spend my time doing is assembling those program notes. And with some of the things, I guess most of the things, you'll see the sense in which I am saying that somebody is trying to eat his cake and have it, too, that is the way that Rand formulated it, by the way, the, the typical formulation of the attempt to get away with a contradiction is trying to have your cake and eat it too. And she had phrased it, eat your cake and have it too. You know, once you've eaten it, it's it's gone, it's done. And first we'll talk about Trump. He is, again, this morning on Twitter, trying to eat his cake and have it too. And I'll talk about in what sense there. And then I've got this little op-ed about Trump's Iran derangement, and I have a way of connecting that into the theme as well. I'll be explaining that. And then we've also got the wonderful story of Harvey Weinstein and he trying to have his cake and eat it too in the form of these talented actresses. He wants to produce movies in which they are the stars, and at the same time totally destroy any working relationship that he could have with people who are semi-decent and talented and have self-respect at all by sexually assaulting them, making unwanted advances, other types of disgusting content. So he's an example. And then in a perplexing way, it turns out that Puigmont of Catalonia is an example of this. And I was looking at the story last night. So that, that kind of started this whole process in my mind. Um, You know, he either declared or didn't declare independence. He was starting to declare it and then he put it on hold. He was, seems to be trying to have it both ways. And so we'll take a look at that story too. There's a couple other things in the program notes. So as I said, run over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com and check out those program notes. You heard in the introduction, as we always have the intro music for this show, is Mace Spray Jezebel's song, and I've put the video there at the end of the program. It's another one, too, that actually ties into the theme of this particular show. But Mace Spray, I put mostly just because of the Weinstein story, you know, the idea you can't rely on the common man, and she carries Mace Spray uh, just for him. So and just a refresher. I, I really like the song. I'm really glad that Jezebel's wrote it. It works perfectly for our little introduction. Uh, to the show. If you want to call in and talk about any of these topics, if you want to talk while I'm chewing cake, that will be quite helpful, of course. 760 888 5817 is the number. Again, that's 760 888 5817. And if you want to talk, go ahead and press the one key. So, yeah, I've got the different, I've t- talked about the cake. Oh, is it cheesecake or buttercream? So, it's a cake. With buttercream icing, is it a paleo cake? It is not a paleo cake in any way, shape, or form. It's got way too much sugar. Who knows if you're going to be hearing the effects of the sugar on me. I've also got a cup of coffee with uh, butter and oil sitting in front of me as well. So that will at least provide some fat. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and take a bite of this cake. You're going to hear me uh, chewing for a second. Here we go. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Definitely tasty Definitely sweet Very very quite yummy Rob said It would be sinful to try to talk Instead of savoring the flavor It is true that if I'm doing this fall I'm having to show You know the only other time that I did a stunt like this And this I mean this is so tame But the other one was actually not quite as tame It was when Ted Cruz had left the race For You know the GOP nominee for president and I took a shot of whiskey on video I made a little video and put it out there of me taking a shot of whiskey and uh, you know kind of sending Cruz off and thanking him for his candidacy and everything and then I did a show later so it wasn't like I did the show while I was drinking but I was a little tipsy because I can drink a very small amount of alcohol I don't usually drink hard alcohol at all so that was that was a bit of a stunt. Sugar, sugar gives me a bit of a, a buzz, but it's not a big deal. I have I have my sugar now and then. So in any event, yeah, you will. You'll hear me taking the bites every so often. Run over to the blog, as I said, don'tletitgo.com. Let's start out. And yeah, I'm gonna criticize Trump. I mean, this guy keeps tweeting things that show that he's not really high on the First Amendment of our Constitution. This is a tweet from Trump this morning, 6.55 a.m. That's, you know, 10, uh, almost 10 o'clock on East Coast. He says, with all of the fake news coming out of NBC and the networks, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for our country. Now, let's nitpick this tweet apart because, hey, I've got a cup of coffee and some cake. We're doing it kind of casual style this morning, um, this afternoon. Hmm. So first of all, bad for our country, right? He's always got to make it about the country versus just him. He's, he doesn't like what they're saying. He doesn't like what they're saying about him. He disagrees with them, but it, he's putting it in terms of bad for our country, that he's really concerned with America He's going to make America great again. So, of course, that's just a little flourish on it. But the main core, the main problem with this is that he's saying based on the content of what a news network is, you know, putting on, publishing, producing, he wants to challenge their license, that they should not have a license to broadcast. Because he thinks that they are broadcasting the wrong thing or something that's fake. Now, in our country, you know, maybe he does think that some of the stuff that they are putting out is wrong. But what do you do? What you do is you say, okay, they said this, but it's wrong. Here, let me tell you the truth about whatever story it is, about Corker, about any of the other stuff that's going on right now. Um, That's what he needs to do. I mean, you could say, okay, if a news network actually publishes a falsehood about him, then if he wants to go on Twitter or whatever and say, hey, they said this, the truth is that, that I think is okay. You know, I don't think that's a bad thing for him to do. But when he starts talking about challenging their license, he's the president of the United States, and he starts talking about challenging their license because he doesn't like what they are putting on their news broadcast. This is scary stuff. This is really scary stuff. Our news media is supposed to be a check against the political powers, the the powers that be. And for him to say, oh, well, if I don't like what you're doing, if you're not Pravda for United States, then I'm going to challenge your license. Is that not an implicit threat? Now, did he do it because he was high on his success with the NFL? Because if you look at the other tweet, that I've got in the program notes, I just I didn't even retweet back to him on this one. He says it is about time that Roger Goodall of the NFL is finally demanding that all players stand all caps as if it's an imperative order, stand for our great national anthem, and then in all caps, respect our country so. This is some victory I think he thinks he's achieved, that he is going to make all of these NFL players via, you know, the head of the NFL, Goodall, um, that they're going to all stand and, quote, respect our country. First of all, if all these NFL players happen to actually stand, they're just doing it because they're ordered. It has nothing to do with actually respecting our country. It is a phony show of garbage. So it's, it's totally meaningless. Right. Um, and then the question is, is it the right thing for a president to be ordering this in any event? Right. So, you, you know, first of all, you can't even achieve it. You cannot actually achieve, you know, respect for our country. You can't make that happen by bullying, by ordering, by badgering people. That's what he's done. He thinks he somehow achieved a victory. And, you know, he he talks, he's going to make America great. What is America founded on in terms of values? In terms of politics, it's founded on individual rights. And you might say, okay, well, this is a private organization. It's the NFL and the players. They don't have a quote right to a job. And I agree with all that. But government is mixed up in the NFL right now in a yucky way. And we've talked about this before that our government started funding these phony patriotic displays before games. Why did we start doing that? I don't know. Back in 2009, apparently, my friend Deborah first told me about it. And um, if that's really the case, right, that there's like a government involvement in these displays, that's icky enough. And then particularly if you say, okay, well, it's Trump ordering this. I would be more sympathetic with players. And I've talked about this, and I'm just going to keep standing by this. If I was going to an NFL, and I've never gone to an NFL game. I watch it occasionally on TV, sometimes when I'm with friends mostly. Um, actually, only when I'm with friends. I don't go turn on NFL by myself, but it's fun sometimes to watch with friends. If I was at a game after Trump has been tweeting all this stuff, I would kneel. I would just do it. It'd be horrible. I'd want to have a security guard with me because everybody around me would think that somehow I'm anti-American or something. And no, I'm sorry. In my opinion, and I'm going to tell you exactly why, I think I am the most pro-American person or one of the most pro-American people in the room if I kneel in the middle of an NFL game given what's going on right now for you know the anthem and, and the flag and everything else. It's horrible that I... Of all people feel like I have to do that, but I feel like I have to do that. Why? Because of what he is doing. From what I understand, the, um, John, who listens to this show, he he told me that even Rush Limbaugh this morning was talking about this particular tweet of Trump and how it seems to be sort of getting close to crossing the line or something like that. I don't know exactly what Rush said, but he's concerned about trump purporting to dictate policy of the nfl with respect to this sort of thing so good for trump now john's joke was well maybe trump is listening to my i'm kidding not trump um, god if only trump would listen to my show right uh that maybe rush limbaugh if only rush limbaugh would listen to my show uh if somebody like a limbaugh or anybody out there who has a decent audience is listening to my show to get material let me tell you first of all um Please give me a job, right? Because I do this. I don't have a job doing this. So if any of you guys like Rush Limbaugh, dude, you've got to let me be a guest host or something. If you're listening to me for material, make me a guest host at some point. Help a girl out, right? So there's that. Uh, But wouldn't it be cool if someone like Limbaugh was listening to me for content? But no, I don't think it. He's got a decent brain on him. Limbaugh, how did he get where he is? And it's because even he can no longer evade. You cannot have this idea that Donald Trump is this pro-American. So let me let me tell you why I believe I would be the most pro-American person in the world if I'm kneeling at this thing, right? Because he is Trump is demanding that people engage in a certain type of physical action and that and he's labeling engaging in that physical action as a showing of respect for Our country Uh, if you're ordered to do something if you're badgered if you're implicitly threatened to do something and then you therefore do it it doesn't show anything now if you say oh well it's just the employee excuse me the employer uh, the NFL ordering them to do it and that's okay because it's just employer employee and as an employee you don't have a right to a job and the employer can tell you what to do okay that's fine but Nonetheless, in an employer-employee context, it is not the case that if I do something my employer tells me to do, that I thereby am signifying agreement that that is the right thing to do. And that's the problem for any employee in any line of work all the time is that sometimes you are asked to do things as an employee with which you disagree. And if you can degree, you know, have the varying degrees of disagreement about the thing that you've been ordered to do. And at certain points, when it crosses certain lines, you say, okay, I'd rather quit than continue to do this. I'd love to see an NFL player quit and be able to explain on principle why, because they're being ordered to do something that is phony in light of a president who's doing this. Um, now here's here's the other thing that I want to emphasize and, and the these different points that I'm making about it are, are somewhat interconnected, but having having respect for our country would require an actual individual grasp of our country and the ideas on which it is founded. And in particular, not just individual rights, so there is the, you know, the individual right to free speech, and I'm talking about the fact that he is engaging in this pattern of intimidation via Twitter, very chilling, very much against what freedom of expression has been, you know, interpreted as meaning, what are the contours of freedom of expression, when does a government violate the right to freedom of expression, you know, first of all, he, he is violating that, but at a more fundamental level, if you look below politics, our country is founded on reason, right? Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson said wonderful things about reason as the, you know, basic faculty that enables human beings to live. Uh, so, you know, I go back and I sh- I should quote from, from Jefferson, but, My point here is that reason in order to operate needs to be left free, and true respect is based on a rational grasp of the value of our country. Donald Trump is not going to make America great by bullying people into standing for the anthem in some sort of phony show of respect for our country. This is not the way To achieve it if he was able to go out There and speak in a compelling Way about the values On which our country was based on the Rights that he supposedly Is going to respect for all Of us that would be one thing But he doesn't he just talks about flag Symbol symbol flag Uh, he He does talk about our military That the military sacrifice For us but he doesn't talk About the actual core Values And to that extent I'd say with this tweet he is definitely eating the cake so to speak the cake that is the greatness of our country and he thinks he's going to be able to make America great again while at the same time eating the things that would make it great and and he he just can't he, he's not going to be able to do it and people are starting to wake up this morning when I did see this other tweet from him, and again, I mean, believe it, this is a president of the United States. He says, you know, with all the fake news coming out of NBC and the networks, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for our country. This is an implicit threat to do something to take away their licenses because he doesn't like what they're broadcasting on their news networks. This is in total contradiction to the First Amendment. If you look at the replies, actually, the replies are changing all the time, the ones that are the, the top ones. This one guy says, uh, at what point is it appropriate when you're Hitler and want to destroy the freedoms of, and rights that Americans cherish? Yeah, so people get it. People get it. The reply that I had, of course, is with all the chilling tweets coming out of your account you know, to Trump at what point is it appropriate to question your commitment to the First Amendment? And I've talked about, you know, his chilling tweets before. One of them I just put burr, you know, her cold. That um, it's They talk about this chilling effect. That's part of First Amendment doctrine if you take it in constitutional law. I actually heard from a friend that in one law school in our country that they taught a con law class and they just skipped over the First Amendment entirely with the result that – This student's fellow classmates in law school actually don't really know the standards that are applicable in the First Amendment sphere. And they wouldn't even necessarily be capable of identifying that what Trump is doing is in contradiction of, you know, the country's First Amendment values. So here it is, the threat. And, you know, he thinks he's going to make America great while at the same time. Acting Arguably in violation of a core value. You know, when Rand talks about the First Amendment, she talks about freedom of expression as really one of the main litmus tests, because people would always ask her, you know, she wrote, by the way, 60th anniversary of Atlas Shrugged yesterday, one of the greatest novels ever. Of course, I'm somewhat biased. I've gotten the privilege of working on the script for a graphic novel adaptation and the great privilege of condensing a very famous speech, a very long speech in that novel down to a fraction of its length, about a fifth of its original length. Atlas Shrugged, beautiful. If you haven't read it, read it. Uh, you will just not believe how prescient Ayn Rand was. And what people would ask her is, you know, and there's a certain type of strike that's going on in the novel. And she'd say, you know, people would ask her, well, when is it appropriate to, to strike And she would say that the big thing to look at is freedom of expression. And I knew that if Hillary Clinton was going to get elected, that she would be no friend of freedom of expression. I've given you the one example that sticks out in my mind the most, and it's just from recent years. Uh, Actually, there's two examples that I I have kind of at the top of my mind. One is that she was part of the pressure on various energy companies if they – actually purported to defend themselves uh, in face of the climate change alarmism that's going on out there all the time. So there have been, you know, senators and, and other people in our government who have either taken action or threatened to take action against energy companies that have in any way try to counter the climate change alarmism that is trying to either bankrupt or strangle them with regulation or whatever, you know, how dare they try to actually defend themselves in the marketplace of ideas because they are, you know, guilty, big, rich corporations, making money off of energy, energy, which, you know, just happens to fuel all of human life. How dare they defend themselves. Right. So there's that. And then the other thing with Clinton was when she was running campaigning, one of the comedy networks published some video that was critical of her and she pressured them to take it down, you know, some funny video, making fun of her. And, you know, they, she pressured them to take it down. And then she was asking for personal contact information of the comedians who starred in this video, which is super intimidating coming from somebody as well connected to shady garbage as Hillary Clinton right so in any event she would not have been any sort of friend of freedom of expression but quite stupefied at how blatantly Donald Trump is challenging this value of freedom of expression in our country and that he thinks he can get away with it it makes me start to believe some of the description about what his white house is like in the op-ed I referred to in the program notes. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. It's called Trump's Iran derangement. And as part of that op-ed, the guy describes it's like an adult childcare or something. And that they're actually afraid that he's just so unhinged that he's going to start world world war three and stuff. You believe that more, the more you read these tweets, because this is textbook. There was one tweet, that I shared the other day. And I think I had told you guys that a friend of mine had actually said, was that for real? She could not believe that it was a real tweet from Donald Trump. And yet it was. So, yeah, I I can't believe that he would actually implicitly threaten to take away the licenses of broadcast news networks based. And, you know, the other day it was that he wants to resurrect equal time, or not resurrect, but expand the equal time rule, potentially at some point resurrect the fairness doctrine, who knows. It is scary, and we have to watch it, and those people who think, oh, I'm too hard on Trump or whatever, or oh boy, you know, someone the other day was like, oh yeah, that's so edgy and original. In some ways, in certain sectors of The society right now It is sort of edgy to go after Trump Yeah among liberals Among leftists It's not at all edgy or original to go after Trump But I am not A leftist And I am subject on Facebook You know from some of my You know you call them friends on Facebook They're people who I guess follow you To some really harsh criticisms And stuff but I do this I don't do this because I love that I don't relish it certainly in any way I said the other day Other things being equal, it's better if people like you, but other things are hardly ever equal. And here, I'm giving you my reasoning. I'm telling you why I think this is so important. I think he is a threat to the First Amendment in our country. The First Amendment is the thing that we need if we are going to spread ideas and change the culture. And at a fundamental level, maybe you think some of these networks are spreading fake news. Well, then go ahead and say it. Say, NBC, publish this false story. When there have actual, you know, there have been actual showings of fake news out there, when it has happened, what do they do? There's a big expose, and they say, oh, this one falsified this, and this one said they were on the front lines of that battle, and they really weren't, and the people at least get demoted and lose their jobs for a while. The networks have a little bit of shame about this kind of stuff. At least we know that. So expose them. Let the market decide on this. Let's and and let's of course ourselves be vigilant about not spreading any falsehoods whenever we can. Try to always before you share news stories and things like that. Greg Salmary does some nice talks about this, where you know a lot of people aren't very careful about what they spread on Facebook. They don't give the appropriate disclaimers and and such so you know put put disclaimers where you don't really know the truth Um, you know try to weed out those stories that are actual fake news and not spread them any further don't be a person who spreads misinformation or, or disinformation I have done it inadvertently a couple times in the past I always feel terrible about it myself so that's, that's a, a mouthful there. It, now, I've got a few people who are on the line, but they haven't, any of them, pressed the one. If you do want to talk, go ahead and do that. Robert in the chat room says, hooray, whiskey and cake stunts, yay. <laughs> the, the party hour. Not not so often do I get any sort of an inspiration like this, but I like I said, I had some cake around. And last night I already got the news about Catalonia starting this theme in my mind. Fake news, First Amendment threats from our fake president. Yeah, I mean, you could go that far and say, is he a fake president if he doesn't really understand the principles behind First Amendment jurisprudence, right? Is a broadcast license even relevant anymore in this age of cable and Internet? I I don't know so much, right? And there have been, of course, people wanting to crack down and say that only certain people with certain kind of licenses should be able to share news stories and do certain things, that, but they haven't done that yet. Uh, but if he's going to go ahead and remove licenses of an NBC because he doesn't like what they're reporting, who knows what he's going to do that, you know, to those of us who challenge him on a regular basis. Just Gene, we need separation of sports and state. Yeah, a friend of mine had first said that and I latched on to it. It's it's exactly the right formula. I mean, we have a separation of pretty much everything in state. The only thing we don't separate, if we have a proper state, is the retaliatory use of force. We want it to be objective. We need a, some sort of a procedure to ensure that that retaliatory use of force is done objectively. Robert in the chat room says even Limbaugh understands that Trump has no ideas, or more accurately. Trump has contempt for ideologues. And and see, that's the thing. I think Trump lumps together ideologues with all sorts of ideas or philosophy. He has also a contempt for basic philosophy as well as ideologues, right? Um, Philosophy, all principles, are thrown out as the province of quote ideologues in his mind he lumps the bad with the good throws it all out now oh apparently limbaugh is now his tagline instead of institute for conservative studies he says institute for anti-liberal studies okay uh of course it'd be better if he could define what he actually is it'd be nice if he would come over to individualism right so i could be the institute for individualist studies or something like that yeah, what is Trump good for? He's good for being anti. But is he really good for being anti? Can you really be good at being anti if you're not pro something strong as well? And that, if I recall correctly, I haven't looked at it in a while, I've gotten the about page of my blog, the quotation from Rand, you know, you can't really be, let let me actually just, I'll just zoom over there. In a second, I'm going to take a musical break. We cannot fight against collectivism, writes Rand, unless we fight against its moral base, altruism. We cannot fight against altruism unless we fight against its epistemological base, irrationalism. We cannot fight against anything unless we fight for something. And what we must fight for is the supremacy of reason and a view of man as a rational being, end quote. And I don't think that this is radical and you can't, for example, also talk about our founding fathers as valuing reason, right? Again, you know, Thomas Jefferson has writings extolling reason as a core value of our country. If Donald Trump understood anything about reason, he'd know that true respect for our country would be based on reason, which operates volitionally. You cannot force, you cannot order, you cannot demand and expect to get any you know, an actual respect that is based in a rational grasp of the value of our country. You know, again, I, I, I don't know, put me in sit down with Donald Trump and I'd love to ask him, what to you is the value of this country? What are the values on which our country was based And I would just keep asking, you know, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And see what his understanding actually is. He never reveals it in his speeches. He always talks, you know, he'll say the values on which our country is based, and then he doesn't say what they are. He never gets to any sort of fundamental level with it. I'm going to get lost in my little about page here for a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the musical break. I'm going to take another bite of cake while you're listening to a tiny bit of music. Maybe I'll be done chewing by the time I get back, and I'll go ahead and go and talk about that op-ed that I promised to tie in to this theme of having your cake and eating it, too. Okay, I'm back. I don't know if you guys can hear me now. Okay, I'm back. And and I did finish chewing my cake. Um, I'm going to have to sip a little bit of coffee, though. I didn't have time to, to sip the coffee in the tiny, short musical break that those of you who are listening live get to hear. That is one perk to joining me live, and that is that you don't hear the uh, the commercials. So good for you guys who join me. Thank you for joining me live over here. As I said, if you want to call in and talk to me, about any of the stuff on the program, notes seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven is the number to do so. In that first segment, just talking about Trump again, reiterating why I was criticizing him on this First Amendment issue. I saw the tweets today as particularly disturbing. It looks like Limbaugh focused more on the NFL tweet. He's more involved in sports. Than I am. So that's maybe where it got to him, you know, these values that, that he cherishes. But the one that got to me more is when he, you know, Trump is out there implicitly threatening to take away the license of a news broadcasting company because he doesn't like the content of the broadcast. That's terrible. Uh, I, do, I do have another t- tweet, you know, in the program notes that you can look at that's critical of Trump. It's just Trump. He's going to do his executive order, which he used to criticize Obama for. I've got that old tweet where he criticized Obama for using the so-called power of the pen. Uh, The other thing I criticize him for is, you know, he talks about he's going to give health care to people by having the executive order essentially freeing up the health insurance market. I want to see what it looks like. It looks like it could be potentially good. Of course, it's wrong for him to do it via executive order versus legislation, Some people, they don't care about that anymore. They say, okay, well, Obama did it, so he can do it. But he criticized Obama for doing it. Now he's going to do it anyway. It's the same reason that Obama did it. Obama said, well, I couldn't get it done in Congress, so I did it here. That's the reason Trump is going to be trying to do it as well. And I just parse his language a little. He's not giving health care to anyone. That's what he talks about in the tweet, that he's going to give health care to people. He's not giving health care. He is allowing, quote unquote, insurance to be bought. And as I've talked about in the past, there's not real health insurance in this country anymore, especially thanks to Obamacare. So you can check all that out. But here, let's let's go to this op-ed called Trump's Iran Derangement, written by Roger Cohen. And, you know, the tweet is essentially criticizing Trump. Saying that, yeah, we should keep the accord with Iran, and um, that if we don't keep the accord, that our word is going to be no good, and um, that where uh, uh, that basically Iran has kept to its promises, and it was uh, someone in the Trump administration. Oh, yeah, Mattis has said that Iran is upholding its side of the agreement. You know, so it's it's all this critical stuff about it. Why why am I putting this in the theme of trying to have your cake and eat it, too? Does anybody in the chat room, by the way, have a guess on this? Why am I doing this? Why is this part of the theme that I'm saying that Trump is engaging in an attempt to have his cake and eat it, too? Maybe I'll take another bite of cake while I see if you guys have an answer, if you can tie this into my theme, because I can tie this into my theme. Here we go. I'm going to take a. Big old bite of this cake right now. Mm. It's pretty good. Mm. Strawberry has good texture, kind of crunchy. Mm-mm. Anybody? No, nobody. Anybody on the phone? Have a potential answer. If you do, just hit one. I'll go ahead and unmute you. Hopefully, you're not in the middle of chewing something. You're both just chew. No, nobody on the phone either. Okay, so this is why, because what Trump is talking about doing is, quote, decertifying the deal, decertifying. Now, decertifying isn't completely canceling it, right? Um, I guess it's opening the door for perhaps not upholding all the different parts of it, but why wouldn't Trump, right? Why wouldn't he just completely denounce and say forget we're not going to have it anymore and give a whole actual um, moral defense as to why instead of this so-called decertification. Decertification sounds like an attempt to both nullify and not nullify the agreement. Decertify. Oh, and then he's going to designate The Guard is a terrorist organization and everything else. What he would do properly is say that you can never actually make a real agreement with a regime like Iran and just completely nullify it. Um, But here he just, if he declines to certify, they say what's going to happen? U.S. congressional leaders would have 60 days to decide whether to reimpose sanctions that are suspended under the agreement. So why why isn't he going to go out there and just have a very principled statement as to the idea that you cannot negotiate with anybody like Iran and why? Um, Instead, he just talks about the fact that the pact um, is a, quote, embarrassment, Right. And he's trying to say, you know, things like that Iran is not adhering to it. And he's also trying to say that Iran, um, because of the sanctions that we've lifted, that they are using that money to, you know, commit terrorist acts and things like that. And supposedly everyone's got a competing story about that. Oh, they're not doing that. He needs to come out and say, not only was it a, quote, embarrassment, but that. It was an entire mistake wrong, morally wrong, to try to make a, quote, deal with Iran in the first place. And that's the entire premise that he needs to challenge. If he doesn't challenge that premise, then he's opening himself up to the sort of criticism that is in this op-ed where they're basically saying, oh, well, you know, you say that Iran isn't holding to it, but look, your own guy, James Mattis, says that it is. And then so does this international certification body, IAEA. They found that Iran is in compliance. And then, you know, uh, by the way, this is not supposed to be about Iran's human rights record and everything else. This is just a compromise, Um, you know, Basically, it's 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 some sort of a compromise where we're supposed to both give up things and everything else. And, and, you know, he has to realize that this is just part of what we have to do as a country to be taken seriously and people to take our word. So, you know, what what is he doing again? He's, he's decertifying just because he calls it an embarrassment, which to me is an attempt to both have a cake and eat it, too, in the sense of he's punting a bit to Congress, right? There's that, too, the punting the Congress move, uh, leave Congress as to whether they're going to do the sanctions or not. And he's not criticizing the entire enterprise of making deals with Iran. He never has. I mean, when he was campaigning, he was saying, oh, we could get a much better deal, right? Josh in the chat room says, cannot negotiate, in other words, War or nothing. It it seems like it's going to have to be that way, right? You can't have this phony stuff. I'm uh, unmuting now. Is this Josh on the line, by the way, or is this John?
0: Uh, John here, question six. It's
1: John. Okay, I knew I recognized the number and I forgot whose it was. Okay. Hi, John. How are you?
0: Oh, okay, okay. Um, let's see. What really annoys me about Trump and Iran is that uh, neither he nor Obama certainly will give support to the uh, uh, people that are fighting the regime in Iran, the opposition forces, okay? Now, Mm -hmm. that's very real, and uh, Obama threw them under the bus when they were revolting, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. many thousands got executed uh, for that. And Trump has no comprehension of, uh, you know, that the opposition exists, and it should have uh, support. And he never says anything about it. Now, speaking about, uh, you know, uh, being non-ideological or not a man of ideas, there's Mm -hmm. a good example of it. You see what I'm saying?
1: Right, right, right.
0: I mean, it's really outrageous. In that
1: that he, he should support these people who want to overthrow the terrible regime there, as opposed to talking about, you know, the details of a deal or it's an embarrassing because we didn't get quote enough yeah. out of the deal with them, right? Yeah.
0: Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the, in, in Iran, of course, those people are Persians. They're not Arabs. And the Persian culture goes back before Islam, certainly. It was a much superior civilization. They fought for years against Islam and they lost and Islam got imposed on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the people in Iran know all that. Okay. And uh, in fact, there's uh, another Iranian flag, the one that goes back a few decades. It's different from the one they have now, but uh, occasionally the opposition group will bring that out, you know, as as a notification that we know what we were. We want to get back to, you know, something intelligent and productive. Right. So that's my complaint about, about him. It's, it's just, I believe I've never seen a politician so void of ideas. I mean, he has no philosophy at all, except being vaguely pro-American. Okay. Yes. I mean, got, and and and, and
1: vaguely pro-American, I guess, because it gets him elected as president of the United States of America, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I boy, I heard somebody on the radio the other day say, oh, what do you think of uh, President Trump? And he says. Well, there were about 17 Republicans I would have rather have had. But we ended up uh, not making a, a Republican nominee, so we ended up with Trump. Yes. So then that uh, leaves the, the dual choice of Hillary or Trump, and I went with Trump, he went with Trump. I mean, there's, I, I view it as pure evil on the side of Hillary and the Obamas. As far as the Obamas go, there's... No two more vile racists on the scene than the Obamas. And Hillary's a strict uh, Alinsky Marxist, plus she's a crook, plus she's an Islamophile. And as I look at her eyes, it's like when she talks, she doesn't even understand what she's saying. She just, it's just like she's programmed.
1: Well, again, I mean, we saw that, we saw the, you know, what they did to 1984 in her book, how they misinterpreted the entire thing, maybe deliberately, maybe deliberately. Um, You know, the other thing, though, is that the other president who threw the Iranian opposition under the bus was the younger Bush, in my memory, too. That was going on during his time. And Colin Powell, I remember, had gotten Mm -hmm. some sort of pleas from them and they were ignored. Mm -hmm. There was an opportunity under that bush too. So I'm not going to just criticize the Democrats or this pragmatist that we have our, well, we should just call him the pragmatist in chief, right?
0: Yeah.
1: For POTUS, it would just be pragmatist of the United States of America. Why not that?
0: Yeah. Somebody called paleo pragmatist, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Real, uh, But he is, I
1: mean, you know, again, when I was trying to get a handle on pragmatism, I went to the source, I went to James, and I was just reading. It's like, tell me what in the world you think is good. What is your standard of good, James? Come on, tell me, tell me. And I read, I read. And finally, I found that one. The good is that which satisfies demand. And that's what he sees himself. He's just satisfying the demands of the base or the majority of people or whatever it is that he needs to get through the next or, you know, campaign debate, or when he goes out and he does yeah. his little rallies and everything. He just wants to satisfy the demands of as many people as possible, pure pragmatist style. It is, it's really, yeah. So, paleo pragmatist sounds perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, one other thing. Uh, last week, speaking of Rush Limbaugh, Rush went on about an 18 minute monologue tirade about what the real issue is here with uh, Trump versus the establishment, okay? Mm -hmm. And what we have here, I mean, you and I and your audience, we'd all like to talk about issues like trade and immigration and taxes and all that. None of that matters. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is Trump is viewed as an opponent of the establishment, and the establishment is coming after him. That includes everybody The whole news media There's not one network that's pro-Trump All the, whole, all the newspapers Everything is mm-hmm. after him And when um, What was his name? Mueller um, raided uh, Manafort's home Okay, mm-hmm. They picked his block They broke into his house When he's in bed with his wife And his kids are there They searched in the whole place That was the establishment Sending the message If you oppose us We will come after not only you, but all your friends, your family, your kids, everybody. It's it's personal now. You see what I'm saying?
1: Okay, that's fine, but I still can't get behind Trump.
0: Well, well, it is discouraging. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think it comes down to when I see the wall of hatred from the left, I think that's the real danger. Uh, when I see a wall of hatred like that, nobody even steps out of line. You can predict everything they say. Uh, sure. I have to, to, to an extent. No, but a lot, a lot of Trump. people are I, saying
1: that I'm, I'm a leftist because I'm criticizing Trump for good reasons, right? Cause, I guess because well, I'm on well, that side.
0: Well, yeah. Well, we're, we're in a very small, small minority. I mean, uh, but uh, the, the, the left, I think, is, is the uh, is the enemy. They've taken over the whole culture. And it's, what's his name, Weinstein. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Somebody who presses the button that makes every uh, news network, every station, carry the Weinstein story. I mean, is it that big? It's a deal? I don't know.
1: It is. It's a big deal. I mean, here's this guy. You know, he's uh, been... Critically acclaimed forever producing these movies that won Oscars and all of this stuff, right yeah yeah and it and it just well, shows I, I you
0: don't
1: know. it 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 just shows you what a sewer Hollywood is in terms of culture Yeah,
0: well it, it's like we're we're in nineteen eighty four now, and we're being fed something different every every week we get excited about it right. and then it disappears. Okay, right. well,
1: so uh, I mean there yeah. there is there is some extent to which, say, the media has crony elements to it, just like every other business in United States right now. So that's a problem, but the real problem is force. And the worst threat sure. from of you know, in terms of force is force that could come from the government. So you can tell me all day long, you know, that all the news networks are establishment and everything else i mean first of all there's a whole bunch of us who are still out here telling the truth but to me the very worst threat is something coming from the government going to shut down speech that is
0: yeah, well, that's, priority number one well that's part, that's part of the establishment and uh you know, that's another thing about Trump. I, he he has no idea of the Okay, evil but if Trump's not part of the or, or establishment, the but of, he's
1: the one who you know, he but, but tr- you're saying Trump is not part of the establishment and he's the one he's making not. the most noise about shutting speech down.
0: Well, isn't that a mess? <laughs>
1: no, and uh, yeah, well, two wrongs make a big fat mess, right? This is uh, I said last time I'm, I could do every single show could just be two wrongs make a big fat mess. I guess I could make a whole podcast of that where just all the time we could frame everything that way. But, but here we are. Yeah. Maybe there is this establishment that includes the media and other people and it's, you know, knee jerk against Trump that they don't have the principles either because at least I'm criticizing Trump based on principle, but don't let me in with those people. First of all, still, nonetheless, it is imperative to resist the threat to freedom of expression that comes from yeah. Trump because it's, it's coming from president of the United States, United States of America, country founded on reason, individual rights. And here we are, you know,
0: concerned yeah. about whether, yeah.
1: re, whether reason is going to be able to operate freely because of this. Now, John, you're on the phone here. I'm going to take the last bite. I've been eating this cake. I'm going to take the last bite of this cake right now okay. while you're on the phone. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to observe that after I eat this last bite of cake, damn, I don't have any more cake, right? <laughs> Am I allowed to say damn <laughs> on the show? Mm. Yeah, so that that's really yummy, I'm really enjoying the taste of that, but now I'm looking at my plate. Okay. My plate has got a few measly crumbs. So sad. So you think that's a it's, – it's kind of a set law now, right, that I can't both have my cake and eat it too?
0: Well, I don't know, but here's a story about cake. What about the issue of uh, the bakery, baking cakes for weddings, and a gay couple comes in and demands a cake be made for their wedding, a gay wedding, and they refuse.
1: Oh, yeah. I know. Ah, They should be able to.
0: Yeah, where do you stand on that? Oh, certainly I stand on that
1: side of it, yeah. I certainly stand on that side of it. So it's, you know, Gary Johnson, that was one of his big failings, that he was going to continue with the laws you know he didn't put them in place so why don't i just go ahead and leave in place the laws that would force the jewish baker to bake the nazi cake that was the way that they framed it there but it's you know it's the same principle each of us should be able to have freedom of association um or freedom of disassociation as i call it in my my little essay thank you john thank you for hanging out and humoring me with the uh, the last bite of cake there i hope my chewing noises weren't too offensive
0: (laughs) okay Okay, thanks amy
1: Thank you. If anybody else wants to call in and talk, 760-888-5817 is the number. And just make sure to press the one key and let me know that you would like to do that. Uh, Robert says, wait, you've eaten your cake and now you no longer have it? I know. It's unbelievable that that's truly the case. So let's talk about, I've got the second example in the program notes. So zoom back over, don'tletitgo.com. And... You'll see a few, just a couple links actually on the Harvey Weinstein story. The New York Times story describing the stuff that he did is quite unbelievable. And they've got the women, beautiful pictures of, of the women, uh, you know, just make them just look very good and sympathetic. And I I mean, I have no reason not to believe any, any of them, but, it, you know, it's not just Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie, those are the two names that are named in the thing. There's some other other women who are depicted in the stories as well. One of the funniest things, though, is he's talking to one of them, and it looks like of these women, only one of them was subjected to any kind of force where they were trying to leave and he was trapping them and stuff there other ones, of course, they were, you know, don't tell anybody and threatened and, and with career ramifications and stuff like that. But in terms of, but I'm starting to hear stories of assault and everything else, which is, which is horrible. But one of the women, I guess she was a foreigner, a French actress, and he tries to tell her, let me find this. Um, uh, yeah, okay. What is this? So he, his, his thing was always about massages. Like he would try to you know, start having physical contact with them. Maybe he was going to give them a massage. You know, can I give you a massage? And uh, there's a French actress, and he actually told her, he said, um, you know, can I, can I give you a massage? And she said no. And he argued that casual massages were an American custom. And that he gave them to his secretary all the time. So he was trying to talk her into it. Uh, I mean, it's it's just mind-boggling that he did this for so long. And as I said, there are some charges of actual assault as well. Um, but a lot of times he's just telling them, you know, like there, this one woman, uh, Ms. Dunning. What's her first name? Uh, Dawn Dunning. She was doing small acting g- gigs and stuff. And seemed to be interested in her. And then when she was not eager to have three-way sex with him, she laughed apparently. And, and he got really angry about this. And he said, you'll never make it in this business. This is how the business works. And at the end of the story, it said, you know, she said, well, I, I said to myself, maybe this is how the business works. And she, that the story ends by saying that she left acting soon and became a costume designer. I'm not having any part of this if this is how the business works, that you have to have three-way sex with Harvey Weinstein in order to get a job. Forget about it. Turns out Gwyneth Paltrow was able to do a pretty good dash around it. But think about this, you know, and how is he trying to have his cake and eat it too? He wants beautiful, talented actresses and whatever you think of talented actresses or whether you think these particular actresses have talent or not, what you got to assume is that anybody who has talent in order to have talent consistently and be able to keep producing things that are going to uh, be of value to the market, that person has to have some element of self-respect, some self-esteem um, that talent is not something that you can have. And then, say, okay, well, I don't value my body or my relationships or whatever, you know, I'll just go have sex with anybody in order to get a job or, you know, just have indiscriminate sex in general. Anybody who is going to be good is going to be somebody who places a value on themselves and on their body and on their sexual relationships. In fact, um, it's funny because there was a tweet uh, from the Ayn Rand bot about this. Let me see if I can get over to Twitter quickly and find it for you. Gotta keep looking at that empty plate. <laughs> I got this empty plate. So sad. I ate it and I don't have it anymore. Okay. So I'm over here at the Ayn Rand bot. By the way, if you don't follow the Ayn Rand bot on Twitter, please do. There's it, and It's pretty funny. Yeah, so 16 hours ago, was this tweet from the bot and these just come out randomly. I've got databases and I use a random number generator to reshuffle them. Each time I use the databases, I have three different databases. I rotate them. It's this whole thing. So this is just random. It came out. The tweet is sex is the physical expression of a tribute to personal values. And that's Rand's view of, you know, what sex would be to a rational person properly understood and so if you would you know, make the connection here, obviously, not everybody is perfect and holds their values completely consistently and everything else. But other things being equal, the people who are going to be consistently talented are going to be the ones who have respect for themselves and respect for their bodies and respect for relationships and people with whom they choose to have relationships. And here's this guy. He supposedly wants to produce great movies. Get awards, make a whole lot of money, all of that good stuff in Hollywood. He wants to do that. And he is engaging in behavior with these actresses. Now, some of them, maybe he doesn't take them seriously. They talk in the New York Times article about a couple of them where they're saying, well, probably he didn't even really take me seriously because, you know, I was just a a waitress and, you know, look at the way he was treating me. But when you've got a Jolie and you've got a Paltrow, chances are he saw the future star potential of Paltrow. And of course, if he hadn't, right, he wouldn't have continued to let her have her career and everything else. He would have just made her go away. So there's a contradiction there. There's a contradiction in saying that you want these talented women to work for you to do great acting that help you produce great movies and win awards, critical acclaim, get a lot of money all of that, and then at the same time, you're going to act in ways that demean them, diminish their value, not treat them with the respect that they deserve. So in that case, definitely trying to have his cake and eat it too. And unfortunately, the whole, you know, sort of atmosphere in Hollywood condoned it. There were people, you know, talking about Matt Damon and maybe Ben Affleck as well, were sort of willing co-conspirators in some of this. Uh, At least they were knowledgeable about what was going on. One of the things in the Times, let me see if I can find it. Uh, At an Oscars awards ceremony, there was one of the hosts who made a joke about this. Like it's so well known that he made a joke about it. And yet this behavior continued. It was something like, um, because like there were five actresses that were going to get the Oscar nomination And it was, here are five actresses that no longer have to worry about faking an attraction for Harvey Weinstein. That's a joke that was told at an Oscars ceremony. This is how well known this disgusting behavior was, you know, in Hollywood. It was was well known among everybody. And people are looking the other way. I mean, it's like the Catholic Church, but, you know, instead of dealing with kids, you're dealing with. Younger women—they—they they all seem to be about like between 20 and 24 at the time that he was hitting on them. Who knows? There's, you know, probably different ages, different eras as well. But it, it's disgusting. And yeah, trying to have his cake and eat it too—it's not working. If you see the second link now, I mean, not only is he subjected—you know, I mean, he lost his job and everything. His wife is. Leaving him as well I've got a CNN story about it This is the statement from Georgina Chapman Who was married To Weinstein Let me see here Okay CNN is trying to sell me something right now And they're not letting me actually read this story There was a statement From Chapman And let me see if CNN Will actually let me read their story which I shared with you guys. Uh, okay, here's a statement from Chapman. My heart breaks for all the women who have suffered tremendous pain because of these unforgivable actions. The statement read, "I have chosen to leave my husband. Caring for my young children is my first priority, and I ask the media for privacy at this time." End quote. I have not heard anything about her, you know, being knowledgeable about this behavior. It seems difficult to think that it would go on for so long, and that she wouldn't have known about it. But in any event, uh, we shall see. Now, selfishness in the chat room says, "Would you put your talent in anyone else's control?" Really, you know, this this is part of the question, right? In fact, there was a listener to this show who had sent me a message through the blog the other day and and basically saying that I should more explicitly pitch for people to donate to my show, which I don't do very often. And I should say, look, don't you want me to be able to give you an unadulterated message as opposed to try to get hired by somebody else out there and have my talent quote be in somebody else's control. You know, again, all these things around sometimes if the person that you put your talent, you know, in their control, If that person themselves, they're really talented, they have really good ideas, okay. But you certainly would not want to work for someone who treats you that poorly. John in the chat room says, I've heard things uh, said that a person in power should not be influencing the lives of those that have less power, but that is what power is. You know, it's just an idea of what, What sort of relationship, again, do you think that someone who is a true talent would engage in and would you want them to engage in? So why would you want someone, you know, who is you're trying to nurture as a true acting talent? Why would you want them to do something that they were not willing to do? engage in either at least you know on the one hand suppose that they wanted to do it. it was like casual sex or something so what you'd be doing if you're a Weinstein in that situation suppose the girl actually wanted to have sex with him but it was going to be meaningless sex you know he's married she's not interested in anything long term even that even that is sort of demeaning the whole thing and it's it's undermining the idea that you want to nurture a true talent somebody who is going to have self-esteem, the type of self-esteem that would be required to work hard and create a great work of art. Why, you know, don't do that. And and there's certain sort of norms that exist in workplaces for a reason that you don't want to undermine a productive working relationship. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John says, I'm not saying this is not despicable, but this, quote, surprise of this happening seems. But that's the thing. What they're saying is that it really wasn't a surprise, that it's been a big cover-up for a really long time. And that's the thing that is truly, truly unfortunate out there. Let's see. Let me go back over to the program notes. Oh, you know what I need to do? I'm going to take a quick musical break, and then we're going to actually go on to our third topic, the attempt to both have the cake and eat it too as I said I'm staring at an empty plate I ate my cake I no longer have it I think I've proven the point oh I thought I was playing my music and it's not going here it goes Okay, everyone, I am back, and we have now already discussed a few different attempts of people to eat their cake and have it, too. I ate my cake, and now I don't have it anymore, but Trump Trump is out there trying to have a cake. The cake is the making America great again, and he's trying to do it while at the same time eating it, and the eating, I say, is consisting of undermining the principles On which our country was based, and I focused primarily on First Amendment, because here he is in the realm of the First Amendment, purporting to tell everybody what they must do, the actions that they must take. And that undermines not only the political principles of the First Amendment, freedom of expression, the right to free speech, but it also, because it's in this realm of freedom of expression, it undermines the very thing that he says he's trying to go for which is, a, you know, in, in terms of the NFL players, that they should respect our country. True respect is based on reason, the use of a rational faculty, which must be left free to operate. And he purports to coerce this respect or badger people into respect, get the employer to badger the employees into it. It's going to be meaningless when those guys all stand up. And I'm almost going to feel like I have to buy my very first ticket in my whole life to go to an NFL game with a security guard, probably, just to sit there and stunt, right? Which is Neil, because of what our president is doing. This, this attempt to coerce respect for our country is so wrong. He's badgering them into it. And like I, I'm pleased to see, pleased to hear anyway, that Limbaugh is also noticing this. I also talked about the attempt to have your cake and eat it too with respect to the Iran deal. He's decertifying and he's talking about how the deal's an embarrassment as opposed to just completely declare it null and void. Talk about the fact that you, you know, you cannot deal with a regime like Iran and say why Don't do this middle ground where it's like he's trying to have it and eat it, too, at the same time. He's punting it to Congress and all this stuff. He opens himself up for the sort of criticism that is in that New York Times op-ed. They're going to nitpick because he doesn't have a principled reason. He's got these pragmatic reasons for why we shouldn't be in this Iran deal. And the pragmatism, this attempt to have it, need it too. you know, Robert in the chat room was saying earlier, a pragmatist inherently is – somebody who is going to attempt to have his cake and eat it too. They're going to do it all the time. They, they will not act on principle. They're going to try to have it different ways at different times based on what they think will quote work in the moment. And it is, it. I don't think it's working for Trump. Of course, he'll tell you that the stock market, I forget what huge percentage it is up ever since the election and everything else could be a total bubble, not based on any foundation, whatever, but he keeps touting that. And one of his other tweets, by the way, about that was that the news media outlets, they should all be reporting how well the stock market is doing. Again, purporting to tell the news media outlets how to do their job. It's not as blatant and, you know, it's not really threatening. But that that almost kind of smacks of resurrecting the fairness doctrine, right? Because the fairness doctrine was the one, it's not just the equal time rule. The Fairness Doctrine is the one, sorry, I'm some, you'll hear a little noise from me because I, I ate this cake. Oh my gosh. So um, the, yeah, the Fairness Doctrine is the one that says the media outlets must cover issues of importance. So it's not just if you choose to cover this issue, you have to give equal time to both sides, but the Fairness Doctrine would say you have to cover issues of importance. He, in that one tweet, and I can't remember just like the last day or so, was saying, oh, why don't they all cover this wonderful stock market? He wants them to celebrate him and his supposed accomplishment in making the stock market go so high. Um, So that's him, that's Trump, and I talked about Weinstein and how Weinstein's attempting to have his cake and eat it too. He wants talented actresses to put in beautiful performances in films that are going to be critically acclaimed, that are going to win awards, that are going to make him a lot of money. He wants all of that and at the same time engaged in behavior that is demeaning to these women and is not consistent with respecting creative talent. So shame on him. He's getting what he deserves. He had this glorious, you know, legacy and reputation in Hollywood for producing great films and everything else totally in the toilet because of this. And you might say, oh, well, it's just, you know, his sexual conduct, but, you know, and I don't know how much any of you guys have really gotten into any details of study of philosophy, but part of the Aristotelian tradition of which Rand is a part, she's a part of this is to think of an idea of the unity of the virtues that for example, it would be very hard to be a truly just person if you didn't also have integrity. right? So when we, for instance, we look at a Bill Clinton and we say, "Oh, well, whatever he did with Monica Lewinsky in the White House is just no big deal," maybe people can, you know, compartmentalize to a certain extent. But if somebody does something truly awful and disgusting, and especially in Weinstein's case, it was a pattern of disgusting conduct over many years and paying people off, he got plenty of potential wake-up calls. I mean, Paltrow, right? Paltrow went and told a bunch of other people and um, actually dating Brad Pitt at the time, and Pitt came and threatened him and said, don't you ever touch her again and stuff. Wouldn't stuff like that be a wake-up call to a semi-rational person? But no, this was a pattern of behavior over decades. It says something about him. So if you say, oh, well, he doesn't have his, you know, deserve to have his career destroyed because of conduct. Yeah, he does. He does. So those are those attempts to, you know, of people that have their cake and eat it to fail miserably. The last one I want to talk about is more confusing. It's not exactly clear what's going to come out from it. And it's the independence in Catalonia. The story that came out last night, because I was checking, you know, yesterday, Uh, Puigmont was giving his speech in the parliament, the Catalan parliament, and it turned out that he seemed to be starting to declare independence, but then he didn't, and nobody was really clear exactly what he said. So reading from the New York Times piece, again, I've got all the program notes at DontLetItGo.com. Check it out if you want. Actually, just, just go there. Visit my blog. Make it make it happy. Okay. So the Catalan secession crisis took a confusing new turn on Tuesday night after the leader of Catalonia made a perplexing speech in which he appeared to declare independence from Spain before immediately suspending that decision to allow for more quote dialogue with leaders in Madrid. They say, for days, anticipation had been building that Puigmont, the Catalan leader, would use his address before the Catalan regional parliament to officially proclaim independence from Spain after a week of informal suggestions that Catalonia had the right to secede following an October 1st referendum. Instead, Mr. Puigmont's speech only deepened the confusion, perhaps deliberately so. So they're, you know, in kind of introducing this possibility that he's doing this deliberately, trying to both have his cake and eat it too, declare independence and not. Again, continuing with their story, they say, by restating Catalonia's right to independence, he continued to anger the opponents of secession. But by refusing to begin the secession process immediately, he frustrated some of his allies in the independence movement who felt he had not taken a decisive enough stance. Quote, I assume the mandate of the people for Catalonia to become an independent state in the shape of a republic, Mr. Pugmont said, before adding seconds later that he and his government would, quote, ask Parliament to suspend the efforts of the Declaration of Independence so that in the coming weeks we can undertake a dialogue, end quote. They say the careful distinctions... Mr. Puigmont was trying to draw, left many Catalans confused. Mikel Iseta, if I pronounced it correctly, I hope I did, the leader of the Catalan branch of the Socialist Party, expressed bemusement at the, quote, complex wording used by Mr. Puigmont. And quoting from Mr. Iseta, he said, let me, he said, let's see if I've understood this well. He says, you're taking on a mandate that I'm questioning And at the same time you're proposing to suspend a declaration that hasn't been made. (laughs) So it does seem that Puigmont is trying to have it both ways, that he's sort of declaring but not declaring. Did he declare it or not? And that's the topic of the next article. That's the headline of the next article from New York Times. Spain asks Catalonia, this is today. Did you declare independence or not? Prime Minister Rajoy took a tentative step on Wednesday towards seizing administrative control of Catalonia, but he asked the region's leader to first clarify whether he had actually declared independence from the rest of Spain following an unusual series of events the night before. In a short news conference, Mr. Rajoy called on Puigmont The leader, Catalonia's leader, to confirm whether he had declared independence, given what the Spanish prime minister called the, quote, deliberate confusion generated by the comments and actions from Mr. Puigmont uh, and other Catalan leaders on Tuesday. Pending a response from the Catalan government, Rajoy said that he was initiating a request for his government to invoke Article 155. I've heard that number kind of thrown around in articles the last few days. Uh, Article 155 of the Spanish Constitution, a broad, forceful tool that has never been used in modern Spanish democracy. It would allow Madrid to suspend Catalan lawmakers and take charge of the region's autonomous administration. Although Mr. Rajoy's move does not commit him to an emergency intervention, and he set no deadline for response from the Catalan. So is he attempting to have it need it to by setting certain things in motion, but not quite doing them either. You know, we could have multiple layers of attempting to have your cake and eat it too. He says, it is urgent to put an end to the situation that Catalonia is living. The government wants to offer certainties to Spaniards and Catalans, end quote. Now, that is, you know, that sounds reasonable. In any event, we're going to continue to watch this as it unfolds. Um, It seems, you know, I don't know... That there's going to be any success for Puigmont by trying to declare and not declare. It doesn't sound like Rejoy here is saying, "Oh yeah, let's go and have dialogue, let's have these discussions." You might say that would that was the purpose that he wanted to go ahead and get some concessions from the Spanish government. It turns out that in trying to have it both ways, the A and non-A, and not really say what he was, you know, what he was doing, that instead. Rajoy is coming right in, he's going to maybe invoke this 155, suspend all the lawmakers, take control, invoke emergency powers. That would be crazy. Um, Now, Jack in the chat room is saying that the Spanish government's message is quite harsh. He is interpreting the Spanish government's message as, quote, anyone who declares it independence will end up like the one who declared it 83 years ago. Exile and execution quite a threat I don't know that it's going to be exile and execution But certainly suspending the government And it doesn't sound like there's any sort of a dialogue going on at this point Hopefully there will be It it seems like there are some things that should be done In order to make the lives of the individual Catalans better But like I've said in the prior two shows that I've talked about this From what I know of the current Catalonian government and some of the expressions of intentions that they've had about independence. It doesn't seem like the lives of individual Catalonians would be that much better off if there was a dec- you know a declaration of independence. So it'd be nice if there was a dialogue that came out of this and that Spain actually gave some concessions. So for example, I mean the biggest thing that I saw and that I'm sympathetic with the Catalonians for is that they are giving in so much in tax revenue and they're getting so little back in terms of benefits from the taxation that they're subjected to. It'd be nice to see them get some more and I'm sure there's some other things that they need as well. Not working, having your cake and eating too. Trying to do that. It just doesn't work. I've got this empty plate sitting here. I ate it. It was tasty. It's actually leaving like a not great taste in my mouth right now though. I shouldn't have eaten it. I should have just had it, right? I could have just looked at it. It was pretty. I could have contemplated it. Can you take a little bite and still have it? No, you don't. Still have the whole cake if you take a little bite either. Imagine that's how principles work. It's it's pretty tough. John says it is now part of you. I am that piece of cake and all that sugar. I'm I'm sure there's been an effect on my performance in the show with a little bit of sugar rush as well. Is it good? Is it bad? What I do know is there's maybe going to be a sugar crash later. That's not going to be so fun. Can't have your cake and eat it too at all. Okay, so going back to the program notes at don'tletitgo.com, you can see I've got a couple other things to talk about in the last few minutes that we have. One is that we're continuing to follow the story of Russian hacking, Russian interference in the election, and New York Times published this story about how Israel caught Russian hackers scouring the world for U.S. secrets. And how is it that Russian hackers have been able to scour the world for U.S. secrets? It's because of a Russian antivirus software produced by this company called G.I. I'm so happy I've never purchased their antivirus software, but it turns out that this antivirus software made by Kaspersky Lab. I, I, I swear I'd heard of it before, but I just haven't used it. It's used by 400 million people worldwide, including by officials at some two dozen American government agencies. I remember looking at a story in the program notes that I had a, a couple shows ago or so, and it was saying that only about a month ago, I think did the FBI or another government agency say that, oh, we're going to not use this anymore. They have known that there's a potential problem with this for quite a long time. Why in the world was our government using an antivirus software made by a Russian company? How, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say dumb. How dumb is that? Seems crazy. Uh, They say the Israeli officials who hacked into Kaspersky's own network alerted the United States to a, the broad Russian intrusion which has not been previously reported leading to a decision just last month they say to order the software removed so that's why it was removed it was because of the awesome israelis telling us what was going on so we the debts that we owe to israelis that people don't even know i'll give you one other story of you know the israelis just come up with such great technology, and here we are, we're in their dead again. There's the medical technology that comes out of Israel is awesome. I don't know the state of it today because I only learned about this. I had a friend who was having uh, some kind of problems about ten years ago,
0: uh,
1: some sort of intestinal thing, and you know they do traditionally all of these scopes. You know they'll stick these big long tubes up or down you or whatever, and it's uncomfortable and everything else. And some Israeli medical technology company came up with a capsule with a little camera in it. I, I mean, I can only imagine the potential for how good those cameras could perform now, how well those cameras could perform now. This is like 10, 15 years ago that I'd heard about this. So you swallow this capsule and it takes pictures as it goes like all through your digestive tract and it looks for like ulcers or, you know, whatever it's going on on its way down. Awesome, right? Israel Israel did it. So apparently they're the ones who gave us this time. They say the Russian operation described by multiple people who have been briefed on the matter is known to have stolen classified documents from a national security agency employee who had improperly stored them on his home computer. And this is the one on which the uh, antivirus software was installed. So thanks to the Israelis for that for, and, and we'll continue to follow The story of, of Russian hacking And Russian interference in elections It appears to not be fake news After all uh, Look at my little tweet I've got out there If you are a person Who gets triggered by profanity I guess just skip it But good design advice uh, It's good F in design advice they, they put out weekly advice and they say, you know, break the F and rules and I say, no, no, principles are so much F and better. And it's exactly the response that's appropriate, but I did get a lot of hell out of it. You might enjoy it depending on your taste for it. And like I said, May spray is for Weinstein. and then you too, you're the best thing about me. The lyrics are roughly, you know, a guy in a relationship who's trying to, Acknowledge the value of his partner and then at the same time acknowledge that he's taking actions that undermine the relationship. Don't people do that all the time? In any event, um, you might enjoy that. The other thing I like in in the YouTube video is the Statue of Liberty and at the end and everything as well. So it, it goes back to Trump. Let's not try to make... America great while eating the cake that is true American values. Thanks everyone. I'm going to see you guys next Monday. I'm off Friday. So next Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. Take care.